All right. Okay. As we heard, or excuse me, as we head into the, the summer months, uh, we're going to take on a new study. And um, in any class that I teach, generally speaking, I'm going to focus on, on what we as Christians and to, uh, and to some extent to what we as Reformed Presbyterians, what we believe. Um, and that was the nature of our one thing study that we, uh, we just uh, wrapped up. For the summer, we're going to continue along those lines, but we're going to do a study that I did about four years ago. Uh, and we're going to do that for the summer. And then maybe even it might even spill over into the fall. And some of you were with me went through it. And hopefully you don't mind if we go through it again, for those of you that were with me uh, four years ago, but we're going to examine and do a study on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we're going to go line by line through that, uh, that text and, uh, and examine each one of the statements in it. And we're going to start that in two weeks. That's going to be in two weeks. As most of you know by now, our schedule is going to be different um, uh, next week as we have the one service outdoors, as I mentioned earlier, and then we'll have time to gather after, after that service. All that to say, I didn't want to start anything new this week and then take a break next week. Uh, so what are we going to look at this week? Uh, this week, um, I uh, decided to do this one-off is what I called it yesterday in the email. And it was uh, as a result of a conversation that I was having with somebody who specifically asked me about this text that we're going to look at today. Um, uh, they asked me because they were, first of all, uh, confused by it. They didn't understand why Jesus would say this particular thing that we're going to look at. And so therefore they wanted to know what it meant exactly. And I, it's, it's, it's great. I love it when we were able to do this, but what we say in here is going to dovetail nicely to what is, was said this morning in the service uh, that, that Paul, uh, Dr. Paul Lim uh, taught about this morning. For those of you who haven't uh, heard it yet, that's uh, part of what you're going to hear in a moment. Uh, so, but they want to know exactly what we were talking about. And if in, in, the, in the verse that we're talking about is found in, let me make sure I can get there, the seventh chapter of Matthew, verse six, and it says this, do not give dogs what is holy. This is why it's called pigs and dogs, by the way, that wasn't a typo up there that you had, they had, it's based on this verse. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now there's the verse. First, have you ever heard this verse before? Those of you familiar with it? Okay. Uh, do not give dogs what is holy, do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample underfoot and turn to attack you. Does anyone want to take a stab at telling us what this verse means? Does anyone want to say, just give us a general elevator pitch for what you think this verse is talking about? First of all, we know it's Jesus uh, talking or saying this phrase. What is he, what is he trying to say here? Anyone? Where's Winston? No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I thought, I thought maybe you would know, but uh, we'll call on you later. Uh, I'll, uh, if no one wants to take a stab at it, but generally I think what happens is, that is sometimes we'll, we'll read this verse and, uh, and we'll look at it and say, is this, is this saying what I think it's saying? Is this telling me that there are some occasions where I don't cast my pearls? What are pearls in this case? The gospel, the gospel, what I believe before swine. Who is swine? Does it, no, don't answer that yet. Let's, let, let me get into that because I don't want you, start, you to start accusing people of being swine and dogs. But again, it's a curious statement because why, why, why would Jesus say, say that about anybody, right? This is one of those things that, uh, as, as Dr. Lynn was talking about a moment ago in the service, that maybe we even find offensive. When we think about it, really examine it, we're thinking, ooh, that's a little bit uncomfortable. That's a little bit uncomfortable and not sort of the, the, the faith that I've come to embrace and know, right? 
Uh, so that's what we'll get into. And I don't know, I don't know what it's like in your house, but in our house, there are certain offenses uh, which incur an immediate and serious punishment. For example, uh, we've told my kids that if you lie, right, if you lie, that, that's a, that incurs a serious punishment. In fact, I used to tell them when they were younger and really starting to explore the perceived benefits of lying, that being, if I tell a lie, uh, I, I, I get out of trouble. That only works for young kids in the, you know, that only works for a moment. Uh, over time, that uh, that's, it has a worse effect, okay? And so what I would try and tell them, I said, listen, tell me the truth now, I would tell my kids. Tell the truth now, and, and I won't even punish you. You can just tell me the truth now, and you won't be punished. Because I wanted, I wanted them, but if I catch you later, if I catch you later in a lie, there's going to be a serious punishment, right? I'd rather make a habit of, out of telling the truth, right? Over telling a lie and getting their way out of the trouble. Also in our house, though, and the thing that'll get you into trouble immediately is speaking disrespectfully to mom or dad. Don't speak disrespectfully to mom or dad, and anybody, really. Not just mom or dad, but we don't want to hear you dis speaking disrespectfully to any If a report comes home from school that you have spoken disrespectfully to a teacher, you're going to get just as much trouble for that as you would if you were speaking disrespectful to me, okay? And then there's just general, we'll call it disobedience. Nothing that frustrates us more than we say something like, boys, it's time to turn off the uh, Xbox, uh, laptop, device, whatever it is, turn it off, and they, five, ten minutes later, they're still on it. Like, what? Did you not, did you not hear? What's, what's, that will occur incur an, an immediate and, uh, and severe consequence. Now, I know I've told many of you this before, uh, especially those of you who have been with me for a while, but there's another rule in our house uh, about leaving socks on the floor. Okay, maybe some of you who that haven't been with us as long uh, don't, don't know that I have this rule, but it's a very serious rule. Don't leave socks on the floor, okay? And now it's not just a matter of cleanliness. Uh, we have a very specific reason that we don't leave socks on the floor. I get very, very upset when I see socks on the floor or anywhere, okay? Does that sound a little irrational to anybody? Just a, a little bit, that sounds a little, <laughs> thank you, Sharon. Sharon, I can always count on for, yes, that's a little absurd. Um, lighten up, Lyric, it's just some socks. Well, you see, there's a specific reason that leaving the socks on the floor is serious. Oh, I got someone waiting to get in here. There's a, there's a reason why it's a very serious offense. Uh, there is a being that resides with us named Ruby. Okay, Ruby is uh, one of our dogs in the house. Uh, we have two dogs, a bigger one and a smaller one. Ruby's the bigger one, and Ruby has been known to eat socks. Okay, and the fact that, that, uh, that Ruby eats socks is a real problem. We've had some close calls with Ruby um, and, uh, and socks. There was one instance where our kids left their socks out. And uh, Ruby got them, ingested them. We didn't know that it happened days later. Ruby was sick and, and uh, she couldn't keep anything down, right? Everything she ate, she coughed right back up because there was a Nike Athletics gym sock clogging up the works. And to make a long story short, uh, we took her to the vet the next day and blessedly somehow that sock moved along her digestive tract. <laughs> I know it's not, it's not the most comfortable story here, I know. Uh, moved along the digestive tract and she passed it, but there, were, there was all kinds of stress uh, following that event or surrounding that event uh, because then you start asking the questions like, uh, do we give surgery to the dog? And how much do you spend on a dog for surgery? And then do you want your, your kid to live with the guilt of having you know, caused the thing that, that, that uh, brought down Ruby? Um, but here, now here's the thing, here's the point of the story, right? The point is this, Ruby is a dog and Ruby doesn't have good discernment over what to eat and what not to eat. She, she enjoys a good sock, 
just as much as she would enjoy a bone and ribeye. And let me tell you, that's a good, that's a good piece of meat right there. Okay. She makes no distinction between the sock and the ribeye. In fact, why would I ever give her a ribeye, right? If she looks at a sweaty socks and, and says, hmm, that looks good to me. Why would I ever give her a ribeye, right? Now we can draw a parallel between Ruby and, uh, or can we draw a parallel between Ruby and what, and what Jesus is saying here? Is Jesus saying, don't share the gospel, don't share your faith, don't, don't share the truth, don't share what is good, lovely, holy, and pure with anyone who has no appreciation for it. Is that what Jesus is saying here? The answer to that question is yes. And that may come as a surprise to some of you, okay? But, but how we get there, how we get there is a little bit more complicated. How, how, how in the world are we to discern who has appreciation for the gospel? How are we able to discern who, who is fit to receive pearls and, and who isn't? Okay, this is where, this is where, and again, if you've been with me for any amount of time, you know that I, I love to harp on context. Context is everything. Context tells us a lot. Now, I, I, was, I was being a little unfair because here I deliberately didn't tell you the context of the passage. I just threw it up there and I and asked you to say, tell me what it means. It's a little unfair to do that. In any, in any case, when we're talking about the Bible, to just throw something up there, say, tell me what it means without examining the context. We got to know the context. Because if you take this verse and stand it on its own, yes, it sounds terribly harsh, doesn't it? It sounds inclusive, insulated, and, 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 and cliquish. Okay, we have something that's precious and you are unfit to have it, is what we're, we're saying, you know, and that doesn't sound like the gospel that you and I know, does it? All right, but here's the thing. Well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Christians are notorious for doing this, for taking one verse and saying, that's, that's it, I got it. That's what I need. This is all I need to know. And I am now plowing forward with my faith and not really examining the context, you know, what's the context? Okay, let's circle back. Let's check back to the five, let's go five verses prior to this one. And, and let's spend a little time on those. And really, even that, if we just look at the five verses that lead into this, that gives us some context still, more context than we have now, but it doesn't give us all the, you want all the context? You got to read all the Bible, okay? And I'm serious about that. You know, if you really, you start to understand the Bible more, when you read the entirety of it, it's when we pick and choose and, 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 and sort of pull from here and pull from there that we really start to get things uh, uh, crossed over. Because again, it's, if you, when you understand the, the entirety of what the narrative of the Bible is saying, verses like this suddenly say, ah, I get it. I understand that a little bit better because I understand the, the entire narrative of the Bible, okay? But nevertheless, let's back up and we want to look at one through six, not just, not just six. Let's look at one through six and we'll read all of it. Let's see what the next uh, or uh, the start of these next verses say, starting uh, chapter seven, verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you see, or with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says those five verses first as the precursor to what we read in verse six. So he says that first, you know, judge not, right? Specs. Then he says this, okay? In other words, you have to couch what's being said in verse six against what he's already said in verses one to five, okay? So, so 
what is it that we're being told in one to five? One to five, again, we could probably devote a lesson all, all into itself as uh, those five verses because they're kind of difficult themselves. But to really understand what's being said in verse six, you have to get a handle on verses one to five. You have to wrestle with one to five and struggle with those. And by the time you get to verse six, after wrestling through one to five, you're looking at verse six with a different set of spectacles, okay? You see verses one to five is meant, one to five is meant to humble you. One to five is meant to bring you down a notch or two, okay? And once you've been humbled, then you can approach verse six. You, when you do that, you can't approach it with any amount of arrogance. You read one to five, it humbles you. You look at six and you can't approach it with any sort of arrogance, okay? You can't be insulated, in, uh, insular or, or cliquish after reading verses one to five, okay? So what does it say? Verse one starts with a verse that seemingly everyone in the world, if they're Christian or not, everyone in the world knows verses one to five, right? Or verse, verse one, which says, judge not lest you be judged. How many times have you heard that, whether, whether it's a Christian person or otherwise saying, hey, Christian, judge not lest you be judged, right? And what people tend to do is read that verse and say, well, that means we shouldn't make any kind of judgment about anybody ever, right? Everyone has a right to do what they want to do. And in a sense, yes, that's true. Everyone can do whatever they want, but can anyone do anything they want without judgment? No, no. What exactly is Jesus talking about when he says, judge not that you be not judged? Now, you may find it interesting that the word judge here is borrowed from the legal vocabulary of the day. All right, and it has to do with the gavel of the judge coming down when he issues a sentence of punishment, judgment or uh, judgment of condemnation. Okay, so you read this verse with the word condemn, and still you can still capture the essence of what Jesus is saying. You could say, condemn not that you be not condemned. Okay, what, what, do, what do we mean by condemnation? How might condemnation be different than how might we use the word judge? What do we mean by condemnation or condemn, to condemn someone? Turn them over. Uh, uh, that, that's a more serious, that's something very negative, okay? So if I say, for instance, if I tell my, my child, uh, use good judgment today, okay? Is that something positive or negative? That's positive. You can, there's, many, there's many instances where we use judgment, good judgment, and mean that to be a positive statement. To condemn, it's awfully hard to, to use condemn in a, in a positive light, okay? So it's specifically speaking of this negative meaning. So if Jesus is teaching condemn not that you be not condemned, what we're saying is, is that we shouldn't pronounce condemnation on anyone. Is that what, is that what the verses are saying, okay? Uh, it's not a call to abandon discernment. These verses are not a call to abandon discernment, which we often do. Well, they can do whatever they want, judge not. No, this is not a call to abandon discernment. The next few verses labor the idea that we should first remove the plank from our own eye, you know, first evaluate the sin in our own lives is what it's telling us, but does it stop there? Not at all, okay? We're, we're called to evaluate the sin in our own lives first, to make an account of that, then, and only then, after doing that, and only then you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the whole process, okay? Uh, the, the whole process to evaluate yourself, account for your own sin and dealing with that, then proceeding to removing the sin in your brother's eye. That whole process is a call to discern. This is all about discernment here, to exercise dis to good judgment, okay? So this passage isn't calling us to abandon discernment. Again, it's telling us to abandon condemnation. Condemnation, in this sense, carries with it that, internal, uh, that eternal component to it. When you condemn someone, you are making a judgment about their guilt or innocence. 
you know, ultimately before God is what we're saying. So in other words, if we were to amplify what Jesus is saying here in this passage, it, it, it would be, don't, don't make pronouncements about the state of someone standing before God without first understanding the state of your own standing. Okay, let me say it again. Don't make pronouncements about the state of someone's standing before God without first understanding the state of your own standing. See that? This is what Paul was talking about this morning in the sermon when he, when he, when he came to the conclusion that we're, we're all pharaohs, every one of us. Every one of us is a pharaoh. It's, it's difficult to look at that person and say, well, you know, well, it's a tough for them, but you know, they kind of had it coming. No, if you really understand your position before God, right, is that you really understand, you get to the point, you say, I'm a pharaoh too. Uh, and again, some of y'all will, will get, to, get to that in a little bit. Um, let me give you a, another great example, uh, just so you don't think I'm making this up. Here's an example of Jesus calling us to do the very thing um, uh, that we're talking about here. It's in the Gospel of John, we have an account of a woman caught in adultery. And uh, we, know, we know nothing of the men or the man involved in this transaction, but the woman was dragged into the public square and brought in shame and humiliation to Jesus, right? Brought before everyone. Now, you should know here, the Pharisees who brought her before Jesus weren't looking for sound judgment here. They weren't looking for sound judgment. They, were looking, they weren't looking for discernment. Uh, they were all looking to trap Jesus. This was more about trapping Jesus than it was about bringing this woman before any sort of tribunal, right? And so they asked him in John 8, 5. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What, uh, so what do you say? What do you say? Now, here's the thing. Under Roman occupation, which, you know, uh, Israel was at this time, Jews weren't allowed to exercise capital punishment. This is ultimately why Jesus was on a cross and not stoned to death, by the way. But according to the law of Moses, stoning was the penalty for adultery. So, so they're trying to trap Jesus by saying, who are you going to support here? Who are you going to support here, Jesus? Are you going to support Moses or Caesar? Pick one, Moses or Caesar? Now, you see, if he picks Caesar, right, he betrays the Mosaic law. And he's a rabbi, okay? So to say, well, we got we to gotta side with Caesar, you know, he's in charge. But now, rabbi, you're betraying the law of Moses. And a, and, and a rabbi would never do that. But then again, if he picks Moses, oh, I got to side with Moses, then who's he betraying then? He's betraying Caesar. Oh, you're trying to start an insurrection, Jesus? Is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to say we should obey the Mosaic law over the Roman law? Is that what you're trying to say? So what does he do? Who does Jesus pick? Does he pick Moses or Caesar? Don't miss this. Don't miss this because it's very easily overlooked. Let me, let me read it for you. This is John 8, 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw uh, a stone at her. So who does he choose, Moses or Caesar? He picked Caesar. No, uh, Moses. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm seeing if you're listening. Good. I'm glad you <laughs> He picks Moses. In effect, he says she's guilty. Fire away. That's what he's saying here. She's guilty. Go ahead. Throw the first stone. Uh, but he doesn't quite say it so harshly, does he? In effect, he's saying, don't make pronouncements about the state of someone else's standing before God without first understanding your position before God, your own standing. He says, understand your own offenses against the law before making statements of condemnation against her. And it's, in a sense, he's saying, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But, but, but he's, he's saying here, cast, cast, the cast the first stone. She's guilty. Guilty is charged. Have you ever considered your own sin first, though, he says? 
right? And this, after this, he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And after this, was there anyone left who was, who was worthy of casting the first stone? Was there anyone left who was worthy of casting the first stone? Was there? Was there? There was one. There was one. Jesus. Jesus. One person. Jesus was the only one sinless who was present and therefore the only one who had the right to stone her. However, instead of exercising justice against her, what did he do? He granted mercy, mercy and kindness. And, and he did it without rejecting or diminishing the law. Uh, whatever the law said about adultery, he recognized her sin. He saw it. He acknowledged it, but he granted forgiveness. He approached her sin with, with mercy. That's what he did. He forgave her, not because he diminished the law, not because he's saying, oh, that doesn't count, right? No, he acknowledged the law. He knew he would fulfill the law and pay for her sins on the cross. He says, you're forgiven. I'm going to cover your sin. Yet at the same time, go and sin no more, he said. He didn't give her a free pass. Go and sin no more. He fully acknowledged the law, but he granted forgiveness. He acknowledged truth and grace, okay? When I, when I married Tracy... I, uh, I married a woman who loves to go on vacation. In fact, there's a, probably a lot of reasons why Tracy shouldn't have married me. Uh, and, and if we were to compile a list, high on that list would be marrying him would mean someone cramping your vacation style. Okay, before we got married, Tracy was always flying off to somewhere exotic uh, on vacation, Mexico or the Caribbean. And, and then she got married and we, it stopped. <laughs> it stopped. We had, we had to be grownups and act like grownups and, and start doing things like budgets and, uh, and saving and, uh, you know, providing for our children and, and those kind of things. And, and, you know, so the money to fly off to exotic locations, you know, quickly, uh, winnowed away. And so it had been quite some time since either of us has really been to anywhere exotic. We haven't, since we've been married, we've not been to the Caribbean or, or, well, one time, I guess our honeymoon. And then uh, before we had kids, we went to uh, somewhere, in the, somewhere in the Caribbean. I can't remember it was. St. Mark, that's where it was. And since then, no mas, <laughs> okay? So for the first 15 to 17 years of our marriage, our vacations were limited pretty much wherever we could pack the car and drive. And unfortunately, there were a lot of, there, there, I mean, fortunately, there are a lot of great places you can drive to, uh, a lot of great beaches. And, and we've, really, we've really made the most of that. Uh, but all four of us will pack the car up and head out. And, and to be honest, I've always loved a good road trip anyway. But in the course of these, these road trips, it seems I've created a monster. <laughs> Because very early on, in effort to get my kids excited about sitting in a car for hours on end, what would I tell them? I'd say, because my, I remember telling my, my, is my older son, Jack, and he's still little. He's like, oh, because he just thinks about sitting in the car for hours on end. And I would tell him, you know what the best part about going on a road trip is? The best part is when you, when you get to a gas station to fill up on gas, you go into the mini mart and you, and you pack up on all the junk <laughs> that you can find, all the the pork rinds and beef jerky and and uh, and and sour patch kids those are mine these are these are not props that i happen to bring with me <laughs> but i thought oh how how serendipitous that they're here all right and and you you go in there and you buy the the big bag of munchos i've never bought a bag of munchos that's not in a starvin marvin or a or a pilot fuel station right and you get the big thing of, of mountain dew and sunflower seeds and a bag of candy and and if the mood is right, one of those hot dogs that's been broiling on those filthy rollers for hours on end, you know, I don't care who you are. Those are good hot dogs. Okay. And you know what? When my kids were younger, this was a cute thing because it was a way to get them excited about, about sitting in a car for hours on end. But now they're, they're every bit as bad as I am. And it drives us crazy because now when we stop for lunch or something like that, they're, they're holding back a little bit. I don't want nutrition. 
because I want to wait till a little bit down the road when I know I can cash in at the at the pilot fuel station. Okay, I, I don't I don't want full lunch. I want I want to, I want the snack. And it's maddening because you know what? It's hard to blame them. You know why? Because of this guy. <laughs> I'm the one that introduced him to this practice. I'm the one that said, hey, you know what's great about road trips? This practice right here. And look, even Tracy right now is in the back row going like this. She's nodding her head. It's like, she goes, you did this. You created this monster. But sometimes you got to get a, a bag of beef jerky that was purchased at a mini mart. So I, I evaluate their behavior in these moments. I evaluate their behavior. And, and I, have, I have what we call empathy. I do. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes as a responsible parent, I have to say, no, you can't have that. Or no, we're not going to stop this time. We have to, to get you a real dinner. But it's really hard for me to get upset at them because I understand. I really do. And th this, is what, this is what these verses are calling us to do. Consider yourself. Consider, consider, consider who you are. Consider where you've been. Look at yourself. You had a plank in your eye. You did. You did. Okay, and, and where did that plank go? What happened to that plank? You had a savior who said to you, where are your accusers? Where are those who seek to condemn you? They're gone, they're gone. And neither do I condemn you, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Consider where you were. Consider your sin. Consider the sin that, that, that has been forgiven of you, uh, you know, in, in, in your judgments of, of others. Knowing that, knowing that, understanding that, after evaluating that, after understanding really where you've been, after understanding the, the enormity of the plank that was in your own eye, after understanding that you have nothing to brag about, it's not even of your own doing, after understanding that, then read this, do not give to dogs what is holy, do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot uh, and turn to attack you. You know, you know what we just read in verses one to five? You know what that's saying? Same thing that Paul was saying this morning, we're, we're all pharaohs. Do you know what this verse is telling us? We're all, someone else say it, <laughs> dogs and pigs. We're all dogs and pigs, every last one of us, every last one of us. We all had planks in our eyes, and by grace, that plank was removed from your eyes, and your sins were forgiven. Not a result of anything that you did, but it was a gift of God. So in other words, you're not a dog anymore. You're not a dog anymore. You're not a pig anymore because God has opened your eyes to discern and see the difference. Now, now, now can, uh, you can now look at a pearl and see its value. You can see its beauty. It's no, longer, it's no longer something that you treat with indifference. But now you see the difference between a sock and a ribeye. You know the difference. But again, not, not because you're, you're particularly bright or smarter than a pig or a dog, but because of grace. That's why. That's why you can tell the difference. That's why you can tell the difference. So, so are there people who will refuse to see the beauty of the gospel? Of course. Yes, there are. Uh, there will be people who are so hostile to your message, to your lifestyle, and to your beliefs that they, they won't be able to stand the side of you, okay? So what should your response be? Is your response then fine? I guess you just suffer for eternity. Is that your response? No, what's, what is this verse calling us to do? Empathy. 
to say, you know what, I, I once was like you. And so that means that when we get to the place where we're, we're con contemplating pearls and, and, and casting them before, that, that's like the, the, the very, 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 very end. Because again, it, it should, this one through five should bring you to a place to say, I understand where you are. I understand why you're saying the things that you're saying, because I was once there. And the only reason that I'm not there now is not of my own doing, but because of the grace of God. Okay. So that's what that verse is saying. Remember, this verse was written in light of one to five. Here's what Charles Spurgeon uh, had to say about this verse. He said, I love this quote, count not men to be dogs or swine. He's not telling you, in other words, don't, don't count men to be dogs or swine, but when they avow themselves to be such, or by their conduct act as, act as if they were such, do not put occasions in their way for displaying their evil character. In other words, don't go around classifying people as, as dogs and pigs, but sometimes you'll encounter people who aren't able to ingest the beauty of the gospel. Don't, don't force it on them. Don't give them occasion to trample on its beauty, right? Don't, don't give them occasion uh, to turn on you. But at the same time, with the context of this verse is, is telling us is that Jesus tries to show in our natural human state, without his intervention, all of us have planks in our eyes and we're incapable of ingesting the beauty of the gospel, okay? And, and so if you find yourself, if you find yourself uh, with someone who's hostile against you and, and what you believe, you, you almost are at a place now that you can't get irritated because uh, they don't understand it right away. If you're getting irritated, you're, you're forgetting the fact that your own faith is a miracle. The fact that you have faith is a miracle, okay? Uh, irritation with people, impatience with people, saying things like, this is the truth, and, and this is what Christians believe, you know, what's the matter with you? At that point, you're absolutely contradicting the gospel and contradicting what Jesus is saying here. Is Jesus is calling for empathy. So if you do get irritated with him, you know, what you're really saying is, I'm smarter. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. I'm irritated with you because you don't get it the way I get it. And do you see what we're saying here? Why you're able to say I get it? It's not because of you. It's not because of you. It's because of the grace of God. Okay? Uh, and if you have any uh, smarts at all, it's a gift. You know, so, so you have to be more than willing to go along with the pace of God in a person's life. You have to be sensitive to that. There, there has to be enormous patience to realize the truth uh, won't be seen. The truth won't be seen by any given person without the intervention of God. Because that's what happened to you. So you have to be incredibly patient. And once in a while, yes, you'll have to move on and pray that it's someone else God uses to open their eyes to the gospel truth. Sometimes that will happen. Sometimes that happens. Often it happens. Okay. But you have to never forget there, but for the grace of God, go I. That could be me. That should be me. That should be me. That could have been me. Uh, that was me before the grace of God intervened and saved me. So we're all dogs and pigs, but for the grace of God. What, what questions or comments or further uh, uh, clarifications do you have? Is there anything we can clear up or, or comments? Anything? Yes, Jody. Yeah, and so what we're saying here is, is that, again, like I said, just in this last uh, summary was that, yeah, on occasion, there will be that, but it's all in the, it's all in the attitude, right? It's all in the manner of, of which you're, you are 
kicking the dust off your feet. There will be sometimes, yes, you're, you're called to move along, but it shouldn't ever be from a place of arrogance. It should never be from a place, which is I'm afraid too often what Christians do is that we, when we do you know, say, I'm not casting my pearls before swine or I'm dusting my, my feet off, it's be, if there's, a, there's, a, there's a measure of pride in it. It should, be, it should grieve you that you've come to that place. And it should be uh, uh, terrifyingly sad because again, uh, it's not up to me to, to actually literally convince someone to believe. It has to be as a result of God. And when we don't see that happening, that's, that's terribly saddening. That's terribly discouraging. Uh, well, maybe discouraging isn't the right word, but it's terribly sad. Uh, but it's not, it can't be from a place of arrogance. It can't be from a place of uh, dummy. You know, you don't get it. I do. I got it. The only reason I get it, again, is because of, of the grace of God. And God is doing something else in that moment that, that is that once, we, once we turn and leave. And we pray that eventually they will open their eyes to. Yes. First thing I came to mind was um, the God of the that's right. We're going to be the one, but it's always God's salvation and God's appointed time. So I try to, I was getting confused. Like, I was like, oh no, so how do I know when to? Right. The Holy Spirit's already telling you, go see that person. Right. Yeah, Lucy's, for the folks online, Lucy's telling us that these moments, we have to realize, are, are God-appointed times. Whenever, whenever someone does, uh, whenever the scales are removed from, from someone's eyes, whenever they do see the light, that's a God-appointed time. And sometimes in our own strength, Lucy was saying, is that we try and go in and, and uh, if I could summarize here, force the matter, you know? And, and we have to realize at that point, it's, it's ultimately not up to me uh, to, to, to make that person see. I'm the instrument that God uses, but ultimately, it's not up to me. Uh, then did you have more that you wanted to uh, say? No, all of that, it reminds me of last week about sanctification. Mm -hmm. We don't look at the work that God's doing in the person. Mm -hmm. It's not my time. Right. And my boys aren't where I want them to be. Mm -hmm. You know, your children or your spouse or siblings. Because <coughs> we run up against and we see the laws in everyone's eyes. Mm -hmm. So it's very humbling to know that God's got it. Yeah. I think of my, my mom, I know she's been praying for someone for literally almost her entire life uh, that this person would, would uh, come to know uh, Christ her entire life. And so, yes, it, it, it can be very frustrating at times because you're not seeing the, the fruit of it yet, but it, it's, it's according to God's timing. And so it, our posture at that point is not to rid ourselves of them, but the persistence of continuing to pray for that person for the course of your entire life, if necessary, and pray for those moments when you can uh, be the instrument in, in seeing that those scales would come off. Uh, that would be a miracle. Uh, yeah, Spencer. Earlier, uh, verses one through five talk about judging <laughs> until you work out your own faith. Can you talk about that a little bit more? And is it possible that we're just really not supposed to judge? That's for God. Yeah, that's sort of the, yeah, ultimately when we're talking about someone's, the eternal state of someone's soul, yeah, that's not for us to, to judge. And uh, what those verses are really trying to emphasize is the fact that it really, and again, you have to even look at some of the language there. It talks about plank in your eye, speck in your brother's eye. And so what to me that's saying is, listen, you really have to evaluate yourself uh, tenfold before you start evaluating your, your brother. And again, it's not a call to abandon discernment. And, and, and never to uh, make the call in terms of you're saved, you're not saved, uh, rather specific sin. Like here's, here's where you're struggling, brother. Uh, and this is only after I've done a thorough evaluation of my own sin that then I can then say to my brother. And again, my brother, I think will recognize the fact that, wow, okay, he's coming to me in humility, not in, in arrogance, anger, or, or, uh, or anything, anything like that. 
Yeah, did you have something, Jenny Lark? Oh. Um, I just can't even like throwing that, that T-bone steak out into a pack of dogs. Mm -hmm. And so just the idea of how we <clears throat> can tend to weaponize our righteousness yeah. and how we have been seeing that so much in our current yeah. situation that we we use our, you know, what God has given us and throw it out there just right. to let, let, just to almost like, how entertaining to see these people who don't know God right. fight over and devour themselves. Like, I don't, I just, that idea, or like if you imagine a bunch of pigs that are going to fight over the best scraps, right. like it's almost like a feeding frenzy. And we, um, when I think about that verse in light of the humility you were mentioning, just this idea that we would ever delight in, in sharing the gospel in a way that just turns other people against each other right. or like lest they turn back and attack. And, and, and that's such an excellent point because again, we do tend to we have we've seen in Christian circles uh, where you can use the gospel as uh, as a weapon, you know, or as something to delight in if uh, if they don't uh, see it the same way you do. And, and if that's the, the posture that you're taking, as a check for yourself, if you're ever delighting in someone's uh, uh, suffering over no, suffering or someone's rejection of the gospel, if you're delighting in that, I think that's not the posture that the scripture is calling us to take. We should never delight in that. That's, that's a, that's a, that is, that is a, a horrible thing to see someone reject the gospel. That's nothing to be delighted uh, about. And there, I, I can't, I don't, unless I'm wrong, I don't think there's any scripture that would call us anything even close to that. It's a very sad thing. And when, when, uh, when, when, when we read in the, in the, in the gospels that, or read in the, in the, it's trying to think of the exact passage, where is it? Um, that uh, the father takes delight in no one perishing. Uh, someone check me on that. But again, that's the idea behind it. It's that this is not a this is not a great thing. This is not a thing to celebrate, you know. If someone is rejecting you and you are at the point that you're dusting your feet off or or not casting, it's it's a very sad thing. It's a very sad thing. Yes. Those first five verses, and I think oftentimes it is taken as we're not supposed to judge any one another in any sense of the term, and beyond just discernment, which I think is in there too, but. There is, I think, also the rub of that we are called to hold one another accountable mm -hmm. and in humility. And, and I think oftentimes the problem is that holding each other accountable can be done out of a spirit of self-righteousness self and comparison. But to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, there is a call to, to hold one another accountable right. in, in humility and to be able to, you know, unfortunately, I think we often don't in our day and age, walk with each other in that type of way where we could hold one another accountable and be held accountable in humility and non-defensiveness and not, I need to establish my own righteousness and defend myself against your critique, but to say, you know, wow, you know, I know you love me. I know we have relationship. I know where you're coming from. You're doing this in humility. And so I can receive that right. and I can speak that. And I think that is the, that is the, the, the distinctive here is that if you, you, you just said it a moment ago, if you are wanting to uh, hold someone accountable, you have to be willing to be held accountable. That's, that's the, that's a summary of those verses there is that you're, you're entering into a place where you're not only examining the one, but you're being willing, willing to have yourself examined as well too. Uh, so in terms of accountability, that's it. That's it. It's perfectly stated. Yeah. Well, and the idea of that relationship here too, we're not really called accountable 
or to the standard of a brother or sister. Yeah, Paul speaks to that specifically, you know, that I don't, I don't judge the outsider the same way I do an insider. And I don't think he uses the word judge there, but it's, it's that idea. It's that uh, who I, I don't judge those outside the household of faith, uh, but those within the household of faith. Yes, that's a that's a now we're in a relationship. Now we're in, in a relationship of accountability that we do. But again, that's to say, even outside the household of faith, we can still within the context of where we are here, we can say that is wrong. That is sin. We can take stands for injustice when we when we see injustice. We can uh, take stands for uh, any wrongdoing when we see that. Okay. And, and we do that as people within the household of faith. Uh, and so in that respect, yes. But in terms of individual soul to soul, I have no business uh, you know, judging that person from an eternal perspective. Anyone else? All right, what time we got? Okay, good, 10 minutes still. Uh, so again, as always, you know, if there's more that we need to uh, struggle with here or that you're still uh, wondering about and you want to discuss it further, I'm more than happy to do that with you, okay? Uh, so let's, uh, let me close this in a word of prayer, and then we can be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, um, it's hard to not read these passages and, and, and just not walk away with a sense of uh, it's a miracle that, that uh, you save anybody at all. It's a miracle that you would save me. Uh, so, Father, help us to uh, approach the world, uh, to approach our brother and sister in Christ, our neighbor, with that understanding that it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we have any relationship with you at all, much less one that we can speak of, uh, one that has been redeemed. Uh, so, Father, help, uh, help us to couch every conversation that we have with every single person with that understanding that, uh, that first you loved me uh, to the point of, of, uh, of that, that I can see and understand what, what pearls are, uh, that I can understand what the beauty of the gospel is, uh, not of my own doing, uh, but because of what your son did for me. Uh, we thank you for that miracle. Uh, help us to, to frame our thoughts around that, uh, that idea and that, that image and that, uh, uh, that reality uh, as we uh, leave this place and, and head about in our weeks. Uh, thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all.